Well, good morning again. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verses 24 and 25. Those are the verses, actually the first verse, 24, we examined last week. We're going to look at verse 25 this week. The gentlemen are in the aisles and they have Bibles. If you do not have a Bible with you and you'd like to have one, you can have one of those with our compliments. And that Bible will have a bookmark in it that's marked in the main text of Scripture that we'll be looking at this morning in 1 Timothy 5, verses 24 and 25. Let's read them again together. 1 Timothy 5, 24 and 25. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. Now, if you recall, last week I talked about the context in which these verses appear. This is a general principle that's applied in a specific way in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and that specific way is specifically the selection of elders, pastors or elders in a church. And Paul, the person who wrote this letter, and this letter is one of, remember, the pastoral epistles. These are letters that were written to uh, two young pastors, one of them named Timothy, the other named Titus. And there are three of them, three pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And they contain all sorts of pastoral advice and advice about how to, how to conduct uh, various church matters. So this occurs in the context of selecting elders. And one of the things that the Bible takes great care to do is to make sure that when elders, leaders, pastors are selected to exercise watch care over a congregation, that they be properly qualified. And so the Bible warns not to elevate a person, push a person into that position too quickly. The Bible says earlier, don't put a new convert in that position. Don't put a novice in that position. Give them time to mature. Give them time to demonstrate that their profession of faith is genuine. And the same thing is happening here in verse 5. And what is ultimately happening with this principle, the way it's ultimately being applied, is that Timothy needs to take care not to be too hasty to either accept or reject people from leadership. Why? Because of this principle. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment Ahead of them, the sins of others trail behind. Some people's good deeds are obvious, but others are not so obvious. So, Timothy, young pastor, looking to, looking to instate more elders in a local congregation, be careful. Don't pull people into leadership too quickly because the sins of some people trail behind them. Character shows up later sometimes. And he says, be careful not to be too quick to reject someone. The good deeds of, of some are obvious to all, but the other, others are more understated. And we're quick to see and appreciate, appreciate the flashy leadership that the world looks for in our leaders. But this is, as I said last week, a general principle, and we're examining it from the perspective of the congregation. Paul was telling Timothy, there's a congregation of people out there and they're going to have various kinds of character. We are examining it as those people. And last week, we looked at specifically in verse 24, the fact that your sin cannot be hidden. 
And many of you came up to me with the encouraging words last week that you got kicked in the shins the entire sermon. (laughs) And in a way, that's good. But I also tried to provide gospel encouragement at the end, and I intend to provide more gospel encouragement today about the good deeds that you're supposed to perform. But we need to be, and we want to be, a church of individuals who take sin seriously. The Bible says that we're supposed to make it our business to to kill sin, to mortify sin. And I said last week that famous quote, you better be sure that you're killing sin, otherwise sin is going to be killing you. We want to be a people who take sin seriously. But this week I want us to see that we must also be a people who take our good works, good deeds, just as seriously. And so I want us to to meditate for a few minutes this morning on verse 25, when we see that these verses generally teach that your actions, your deeds, your works, the things that you do in this life have a way of bubbling to the surface. They don't stay hidden. You can see, first of all, in the outline, if you'd like to follow along, there's an outline in your program that you can keep notes on. You'll see, first of all, that your good deeds cannot be hidden. Your good deeds cannot be hidden. And letter A, many good deeds are obvious. Your good deeds cannot be hidden, and many good deeds are obvious. Now, what are these good deeds that the Bible is talking about here? Well, if you were able to read through the pastoral epistles this morning, which we are not going to take the time to do, you would see that good works, doing good, taking care to do good deeds is a theme that occurs over and over and over again throughout specifically the pastoral epistles. And I want to share with you just a few of those, okay, just a few of those. And don't feel like you need to to turn to every reference. If you're not uh, quick with the Bible, you can just listen. I'm going to read all of them to you. So don't get stuck turning there unless you feel like you can do so quickly. But I want us to just get a flavor without reading all the texts for how often the phrase good deeds or good works or being careful to do good appears in these pastoral epistles. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says this, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, what, what Paul is not warning Timothy is that, that Christian women are supposed to be as ugly as possible. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that, that Christian women, women who have been affected by the gospel, are women whose primary concern is not their outward appearance, the way they look, the way they dress. Their primary concern is, is, is a concern of character. They are to, be, to take care that they dress with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10, says this, No widow may be put on the list of widows, unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. 
I told you the pastoral epistles are, are full of advice on, on taking care of church business. And this is just an everyday occurrence. We have widows in our church, women who can't support themselves. The government's not going to support them. Who are we responsible as a church to support? Well, there were qualifications for that. And it was Paul's concern that widows be considered for support who show Christian character. They show good deeds. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Here's our phrase again. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I'm going to read a few more. Bear with me. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that, what's the purpose? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Bear with me, two more. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, the last reference that I'll read to you. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things, those good things, are excellent and profitable for everyone. So have I gotten my point across? All throughout the pastoral epistles, you see over and over again, and there's a handful of references that I didn't read, that there is an emphasis on doing good, good works, good deeds, being careful to do what is good. And I think that it's worth our time to stop and think a little bit about that and make sure we understand exactly what the Bible is telling us here. And so I want to do that by examining the broader context of just three of these passages of Scripture. You hear people that seem to say terrible things in the news all the time, and then you go back to hear what that person has to say about the terrible thing they said, and what do they say? Well, I was taken out of context. Okay? We don't want to take the Word of God out of context. So we want to examine the verses that precede a few of these passages that I've already read to you. And we want to do that through three statements. I want to make three statements to you that are not in your notes. So if you're taking notes, you can write them on the back. You can write them under one of the points. You can write them in the margin. Or you can pretend to write and doodle. It doesn't matter to me, but these are three points that I want to make to you that are not in your notes. And the first one is this. We've got to understand that good deeds are only possible because of the gospel. Good deeds are only possible because of the gospel. 
We've got to be very careful that we understand what the Bible is saying here when it's encouraging us to perform these good deeds and do these good deeds. You cannot walk away from this message thinking that the point is that Christians are people who are better at being virtuous than other people. Christians are not simply people who are better at being good. Virtue, in general, was something that was prized by the Greek culture in which this letter was written. And the Greeks believed that they could inculcate these prized virtues through education. And so the educational system was meant to put forth a product, what was meant to be, this is, this is, a, this is a prototypical citizen of the Greek state. This is the ultimate virtue person who exhibits all sorts of virtues. And you'll see there, by, in what I just said, that the Greeks saw that education was the means by which this was accomplished. People are in need of information that can make them virtuous. And many times, unfortunately, that is exactly what Christianity is to many people. It's information that we get so that we can be virtuous. Or people understand Christianity to simply be about the things that God wants us to do so that he will accept us. And that is not the message of Christianity by a long shot. The Bible isn't simply trying to create people who are respectable, fine, upstanding citizens. What I want us to see is that the Bible looks at good deeds the godly life that shows up over and over again throughout these epistles as the result of or response to something prior, not the attempt to achieve a particular status. There is a huge difference there. In the first instance, all all the good deeds that we're supposed to do are working towards the goal of being accepted by God. The Bible looks at our good deeds as the result of or the response to being already accepted by him. That's what makes the gospel such a radical message. And as such, good deeds are only possible because of the gospel. Let me show that to you in a couple of areas. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Again, you can listen to these unless you want to turn. 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." In this famous passage of Scripture that we reference often here at CBC because it puts forth the importance of the Word of God in creating the kind of person that God intends us as believers to be, we can see that the Bible is the means of equipping individuals for every good work. But we see that that equipping for every good work is preceded by something else that the Scripture also does. Because our text says that he has known the, known the scriptures for a long time, and they are, that is what has made him wise unto salvation. It's the scriptures that make him wise unto salvation, and then the scriptures that equip 
the believer to do every good work. So before the equipping to do every good work, there must be, it must be preceded by being made wise unto salvation. It's going to become clearer as we look at more and more texts. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does that grace do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. The scripture tells us that the expectation of all believers is an eagerness to do these good deeds, to do these good works. Yet what is the motivation behind doing those good works? What precedes that? Well, our verses just said it. It is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to our worldly passions and to say yes to self-controlled, upright godly lives. It's the grace of God that has already occurred in our, in our hearts. And the text says that Jesus Christ died for us. He redeemed us to purify us. Okay, so we're making the point over and over and over again that when, when, it, when it comes to our relationship with God, it takes something outside of ourselves to create that to bridge that gap. The things that you and I do, the good works, our actions, none of those will recommend us to God. We need to be purified. We need to be changed. We need Christ to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And only when the gospel has hit us like that can we be the people who are eager to do good works. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to those things and yes to the others. The last text that we'll see here makes the point even clearer is Titus 3, 3 to 8. Titus 3, 3 to 8 says this, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Why? So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Do you see it? It is the gospel that precedes any good works. Verse 8 finds Paul instructing Titus to stress the truths of the gospel. Stress 
the kindness of God. Stress the mercy of God. Stress the fact that he has given us rebirth and renewal. Stress the fact that believers now have the spirit living within them, which gives them the power to say no to ungodliness. Stress those things. And if you do, the result will inevitably be people who are eager to devote themselves to doing what is good. You cannot truly devote yourself to doing what is good in any successful fashion if you have not first experienced a change of heart, rebirth, renewal. So we're not talking about a need for education. We're talking about a need for regeneration. That is new birth, new life. Our hearts are sick and dead and hard, and we need something to break up that stony ground and give us new life. And that can only happen if someone outside of us acts on us. If you and I want to have any chance of doing these sorts of good works, it must be preceded by the gospel work. Good deeds are only possible because of the gospel. Good deeds are the observable result of an inward transformation brought about by genuine faith. Now, it's too late in the summer now, but earlier in the summer, there were lightning bugs or fireflies that would be in all of our backyards. And my kids love to to try to catch them, put them in a jar or, quote-unquote, hold them in their hands, which actually means kill them. (laughs) But they're trying (laughs) to be nice to the fireflies. They just don't realize how hard they're squeezing. Firefly season is over, but you ever stopped and thought for a minute about how weird that is? Like, there's bugs that are lighting up. That's kind of strange. And I looked up how that happens, and this is always dangerous because I'm about to give a really simplistic explanation for how this happens, okay? So I'm just throwing it out there that I am not, uh, not a scientist. But the simplistic explanation of how this happens is that lightning bugs have a chemical substance in them called luciferin. And when oxygen reacts with the luciferin that's in their bodies, the byproduct is luminescence. That is, the byproduct is light. They shine. And just as light is the product of the reaction of oxygen and luciferin, so good works are the product of faith in the gospel. I would say the inevitable product of faith and the gospel is going to produce good works in believers because that is what God intended it to do. Genuine faith in Christ produces a change in us that is supposed to affect every dimension of our lives. It's supposed to make us shine. Good deeds, secondly, are the inevitable result of gospel penetration. Good deeds, secondly, are the inevitable result of gospel penetration. You may have noticed as we read these passages that the the passages at the beginning that all sorts of people were addressed. Citizens of a government, widows, women, pastors, rich people, Christians in general, a wide variety, a wide cross-section of people are addressed in all of those verses. The gospel is supposed to penetrate every arena of life, both corporately, as a group, and in our individual lives. The gospel is supposed to change everything. 
Companies and businesses are constantly trying to measure what they term market penetration. Market penetration is a measure of the amount of sales or adoption of a product or service compared to the total theoretical market for that product or service. In other words, a business or a company has a product and they try to envision exactly what the total theoretical market for that product is. And then they try to measure what part of the market that they've captured. And then they try to strategize to figure out how they can get their product to have a greater and greater share of the market. And so they're looking for markets that don't yet exist, where the product hasn't reached yet. They want to be the first in the market. They look at other ways of, of producing or, or selling their product. If they've only sold their product in physical stores, they look at selling online. They look at how they can capture some of the market where another business or company is already using that product. They're measuring market penetration because they want to increase their profit. And so it is with the gospel. God is looking for the gospel to achieve achieve full market penetration, infiltration into your heart and into your life. The point is that one's Christian faith is supposed to filter through every dimension, relationship, and vocation that you and I experience. It's supposed to have the whole thing, not just a part of you, not just a part of us, all of you and all of us together. And there is a way of conducting oneself that is either a complement, these verses tell us, to one's profession of faith, or it is a detriment to one's profession of faith. So good deeds are only possible because of the gospel. Good deeds are the inevitable result of gospel penetration. And thirdly, the purpose of good deeds is the glorification of Jesus. Why? Why is it that God wants our good works, our good deeds, to infiltrate every single aspect of our lives? I believe that Titus 2 states the example, states the reason most clearly. And it talks about the relationship that slaves have with their masters. And we've talked about this before. The Bible does not necessarily endorse slavery. There are certain differences between the slavery that's in our history and the slavery that was in Bible times. What the Bible consistently does is tells us as Christians how to operate in difficult and unjust situations which we cannot change. Those situations exist. Difficult and unjust situations which we cannot change. And the Bible is written to people who are in those situations and tell them how they can conduct themselves even in those situations. And so here's what Titus 2, 9 and 10 says. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Why? What's the purpose for doing something as crazy as that? So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. The gospel changes everything, even down to the most difficult, unjust situations in my life and in yours. The observable outworking of of authentic faith is supposed to make Jesus attractive to other people. It's supposed to make Jesus look good. 
The point of these good deeds is so that other people don't look at you, but look to Jesus and say the only reason that those kinds of things could be happening in your life right now is because something else is going on, and that's gospel change. It's meant to show that Jesus is different, and not only that he is different, but that he is better. That only through faith in Christ can we really achieve true virtue. This is the same sentiment that Jesus expressed in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, when he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Our good deeds are obvious. They're meant to be obvious. They are like a wedding ring that you wear on your finger, proclaiming that you belong exclusively to another. That's what your good deeds are supposed to be. And that brings us back to the point at hand, which what are these good deeds? How can we explain these good deeds? Here's the definition, I think, that the Bible gives us of these good deeds. Good deeds are the inevitable result of gospel growth for God's glory. Good deeds are the inevitable result of gospel growth for God's glory glory. So nobody's going to leave this room this morning thinking that Christians are people that are just more virtuous than others, right? It's the inevitable growth of the gospel infiltrating every single aspect of your existence and making you a different person than the one you currently are or the one that you currently were. And all that happens for the glory of God And the Bible says that if a church, if the people in a church are characterized by those deeds, it's going to be known. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be seen. It's going to be observable. Nevertheless, good deeds sometimes are not obvious. So letter B in your notes, some good deeds are obscure. Some good deeds are obscure. In this discussion of good deeds, good works that have gone public, we need to make sure that we understand them properly. We need to make sure we understand that your good deeds and that your good works, your actions, are not all alike going to achieve blockbuster status and be appreciated by everyone. That's not what the Bible text is saying here. For many of us, many of you, many of the things that you do think or refrain from doing are very often not known by anyone. No one will know that for years you endured a parent who was a different person at church than they were at home. Many people may never know that you continue on in a marriage that is loveless and unfulfilling. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit that the Spirit indwelling somebody produces. And many people may never know that you continue to love even when you continue to be wronged. That you persist in joy when you cannot see God's goodness. That you are an agent of peace when others are creating strife. That you are gentle when the situation would seem to call for harshness. That you exercise self-control when everything in you wants to be addicted. 
many of the, the good deeds that you know and practice might never be known. And yet, they do not escape the all-seeing eye of the judge. We talked about the all-seeing eye of the judge last week, and I pointed out to you that when God sees everything, he sees your sin, and the Bible says he sees even down to the very level of motive. And that can be a terrifying thought, but it need not be for the Christian because that all-knowing, all-seeing judge sees the good that you do in secret. He sees the fruit of gospel growth in your life. He takes note of it. And I'll read 1 Corinthians 4, 2-5 to you, which I also read last week, but I'm going to read extra verses with it. It says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. God does not require perfection from you. He asks you to be faithful. He asks you to believe that there is nothing you can do to earn his favor more than you already have it through Christ. And then in freedom to be a stewardship of the gospel change that has come about in your heart. Having attained salvation, you are free to pursue the things that accompany it. Listen to Hebrews 6, 9 and 10. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. God is not unjust. The good that you do for him does not go unnoticed by him. So last week I said that in light of my sin, in light of your sin, you should have been feeling at that point a desperate need for Jesus. And I want to make the exact same point to you again this week as it relates to good works. Number two, you need Jesus. If you are going to do the good works that God expects of you, then you need Jesus. This is not something that you can do on your own. It's not something that you were ever expected to do on your own. You and I need Jesus just as much. Believers, we need Jesus. If we are going to affect the kind of gospel change, if God is going to affect the kind of gospel change in our heart that needs to be there, we need Jesus to help us. We need Jesus because letter A, your good deeds are insufficient. Your good deeds are inf- insufficient. Isaiah 64, 6 talks about the fact that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. That means, what that means is that that if you're coming to God with the stuff that you've pulled together and you're coming to God and you're saying, okay, here is the best I could do and you push it forward across the table, God isn't impressed. There is no amount of good deeds that you could shovel across that table and to present to him that will make him accept you. 
The only thing that God will accept is what Jesus has done for you. What Jesus has done for me. Jesus has lived the perfect life that you have failed and that I have failed again and again and again to live. And Jesus has died the death already that we deserve to live. And for those of us who come to him in faith and ask for forgiveness of sins and ask for that perfect record to be given to our account, God will freely give it to us for his own glory. So, so as Christians... As Christians, your good deeds, realize this, are insufficient to impress God. Don't let yourself be motivated that way. Don't let trying to impress God affect how you think God accepts you. Don't let it affect your prayer life. Don't let it affect your, your gathering together with the people of God. Don't let it affect you, your, your getting into the Word. Don't let it affect those things. Jesus has already done for you what you cannot do. And now he asks you to be faithful and enables your faithfulness. You need Jesus because your good deeds are insufficient. But letter B, only Jesus makes your good deeds matter. Only Jesus makes your good deeds matter. We can be thankful to God that it is possible post-Christ, post-gospel, to please him. It's possible after that gospel change has happened, After God has done for you what you cannot do for yourself, God now makes it possible for you to please him. Here's what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. Okay, so we've got the not by works part. Not by works, it's by faith. Even the faith is a gift. Here's what verse 10 says. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Seems like those are at odds with each other a little bit. It's not by works, it's not by works that you're saved, but all of a sudden you are the workmanship, and then there are works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. That should give you, because it gives me, great encouragement. God didn't just God didn't just save you. The gospel doesn't just justify you. The gospel doesn't just give you the righteous character that you lack. The gospel is what helps sanctify you as well. The gospel is what helps you to do those good works. And so rather the constant frustrations of fear of waiting for the shoe to drop because I failed again, you can go in joy and go in peace and serve. Why? Because the God is the architect not only of your salvation, but everything that comes after it. God is the architect of the good things that he wants you to do. He's prepared in advance for you to do them. We can see it in Philippians 2, 12 to 13, which was referenced in the pastoral prayer this morning. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Whoa, it sounds like I've got stuff to do. That's right, true, but it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. 
If you are able to do any good deeds, if you are able to have the right sort of inclinations, if you are able to love the right things, it is only because God has at first worked in you both to want and to do of his good pleasure. So, so the smallest pieces of growth that you see in your life, celebrate. Why? Because you've finally been able to do something? Celebrate it because that is a sign that God is at work in you. I said that these works are an inevitable sign of gospel growth. Anytime you are able to choose love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control, it is the gospel taking root. The, 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 The roots are digging deeper and deeper and deeper into your heart. And for that, we owe a debt of gratitude to God. So to believers this morning, I hope that the word of God has encouraged you to go and do the good deeds which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And I want you to encourage each other as I encourage you in Hebrews 10.24, which says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We want to be a people who take sin seriously. But we do not want to be a people who are satisfied with mediocrity. We do not want to be a people who are satisfied with, in our estimation, good enough. We need to be encouraging each other to do those love and good deeds, encouraging each other to let the gospel take root in each other's hearts. We need each other for that. The Bible knows we need each other for that, which is why the Bible puts us together. And to my unbelieving friends, who may be here this morning, it may be that you are not a Christian, you have never come to Jesus. Let me remind you that the weight of sin is crushing. And that without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith in Jesus must precede any deeds. Your deeds are not enough. And so I encourage you to embrace Jesus in the gospel and cease from your labor in trying to make God like you. How do I do that? You must first of all realize that you are a sinner. The Bible says you are a sinner. The Bible says I am a sinner. You need to recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And then you need to respond to that. There's lots of people that believe Jesus died on the cross and he did it for the world, but it requires a heart response. You must repent. You cannot have Jesus and your sin. It's one or the other. So you must repent of your sin. Say the same thing that God says about your sin. Turn from your sin and rest that you cannot work it off. You must trust in what Jesus has done, and then you must receive Jesus Christ into your life. And when that happens, gospel growth occurs. Change happens. Good deeds happen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for myself and for all who are here this morning at Community Baptist Church that you would help us to be a people who love and delight in doing good. And I pray that we would love and delight in that because we are constantly stressing these things. 
the fact that great kindness and love has been shown to us through Jesus on the cross, that we have your favor, and that we are free to then go forth and serve. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.